James Stretch. Welcome back everyone. My name is Anya and this is Rishi. Welcome back to Game Stretch. Stretch the game. <laughs> I love that intro. <laughs> Me too. Uh, today we're going to talk about Bioshock Infinite. Uh, Bioshock Infinite is a first-person shooter RPG game that was developed by Irrational Games. It follows the main character Booker Dewitt uh, in his journey to pay his debt by bringing a girl from Colombia to the debt collectors. It takes place in a fictional steampunk city called Colombia, uh, in which there's kind of a America, like a radical America theme to it, and it's uh, the kind of twist on America is that it's actually like suspended in air um, with like giant blimps, balloons, reactors, propellers, and quantum levitators. And um, that's kind of the dystopia aspect of It's an amazing utopia. setting. Like, you know, when you, when you look at a game like Bioshock Infinite, you see the parallels that it had with its first game, whereby Bioshock Infinite takes this perfect setting of a religious America where everybody follows one leader and kind of like a cult. While we look at Bioshock down below in the city of Rapture, where it's completely the opposite, where science, math, business, you know, things that are completely away from religion take hold. So I, I, would, I would say those are the main differences between the settings of the game. Yeah, and like what's really cool about it is that when you're going through the game, you and like as Booker do it, you see like how like how much people actually think it's a utopia and how much the leader of um, of the of Colombia which um, is named uh, Zachary Comstock has like kind of uh, I guess brainwashed all of these characters that like even though uh, you don't really get to know a lot of side characters the side like all the people are so like they're, they're so um, like they look so real it's kind of strange because you can see like they're they would kill anyone or like be killed for Zachary Comstock even though you know they most people don't really see him he's like you know kind of a dictator in which it's like a benevolent one yeah I guess that that is but maybe that's going a bit too far maybe let's get back to sure. our questions Anya <laughs> okay um, okay so our first question asks what makes Bioshock Infinite so immersive um, I'm going to give it to you first because you're the one who introduced me to this game. Right. Um, as I mentioned earlier, uh, along with the setting, the gameplay itself is quite immersive, whereby every action that the player, that the character takes, is also dictated by the player. For example, any coin tossed uh, by the Lutest twins that you need to do, you're the one that has to press the button. Any door that needs to be opened, they're not open for you, you have to press the button. Any baptism that you go through, you are the one who has to accept the baptism. So there's no such thing as cutscenes. There's no, um, you know, there's no take. There's no taking you away from the gameplay. The game is constant and it's always moving. You are Booker DeWitt, and I feel like that was a really well done concept of the game. Because nowadays, a lot of AAA rated games that we get, a lot of them play out in nice cutscenes that allow us to see the narrative from like a third person while here you're remaining in that first person throughout the entire game and you know for me that was such an immersive experience because i don't think a lot of games do that 
Yeah, I think that uh, like a big aspect of the game is the, as, as you've said beforehand in some previous conversations, the illusion of choice. Uh, and like with that choice, uh, by the way, I'm going to issue like a spoiler warning right now because uh, like, you know, uh, so, so just keep that in mind. But, um, you know, when, when you're at the baptism and like the very last few scenes, you, you have to choose to like be baptized. You have to choose to open the doors and go through each, like, like as she says, there are constants and variables at the end. Um, and like, it doesn't matter which lighthouse that you go to or which door you open, because you always end up at the same place, constants and variables. And I think what makes it so immersive is that until you get this concept, uh, like there are some mysteries in the game that can only like be understood one like at the end, and it feels like so great to go through with like the small mysteries of you know who like why does why can Elizabeth make these tears you know like why can uh, why can the Lutes twins just like appear and disappear? It's just so much fun to be able to kind of even though it's not as much of an open world game. It feels like an open world because you can like pick up different. Um, what are the what are those called? Like the Vox phones or? Yeah, the Vox yeah. phones. And yeah. Understand the story of Colombia a little bit more, and also just piggybacking off of, of what Anya was saying. You know, um, in this game, there's just so much to do. There's so many different ways you can play this game. You can change your clothes, and you'll have a completely different way of playing the game. And I know that sounds a bit weird, mm -hmm. but honestly, if you want to have a good time, you can just change your clothes in the next time you play this game and you realize that I have to change the way I defeat these enemies and move through the game. It's honestly one of the best games I've ever played. Mm -hmm. And we've not even touched on the story. These are just like story mechanics of game mechanics, you know, using science, a lot of science principles as well. You know, like quantum levitation, quantum entanglement, even quantum superposition. Maybe even Schrodinger's cat, yeah. Yeah, exactly. Quantum superposition. Um, you know, these are such stretched out concepts that until you don't even being, see them yeah, until... Yeah, they're still being explored. Yeah, until you see them play out in its full actuality. Yeah, and I feel like, um, like a big part of like when I played the game uh, was like, you know, the parallels that they had to like actual life. And even though it takes place in 1912, like, uh, there's the radical America principles and, you know, the idea that um, like the, the religious uh, implications, the small hints of racism throughout the game and like discrimination in this like modern utopia, essentially makes like makes the game so much more interesting because there's so much like you know there's like the saying that with like characters that if there's no problematic character characters they're not interesting right and like at first when you enter the society you feel like it's it might be a little religious but like it's very perfect and then when you start seeing the small cracks like the in the discrimination and in the religious um like the religious fanaticism fanaticism and all that uh it just feels like you you get to see the cracks to the bigger picture, and I really enjoy um, that, like going through that throughout the entire game. But yeah, I think you need to play the game to really understand how immersive it is. But I think we did a good job of trying to explain <laughs> our thoughts. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, so our next question is, who's the real villain? And this is the question 
that if you have not played the game, please don't listen forward because it will ruin it for you. A lot of spoilers ahead, but yeah. definitely a good question to ask. So we're just going to go ahead into it. Why don't you take, why don't you go with your first take and I'll, I'll see where I can jump in. All right. Okay. So I feel like, you know, the main two central two characters of the show, uh, a show of the uh, video game, which are Booker Do It um, and uh, Anna or Elizabeth, um, you know, you follow their journey in the ups and downs in their relationship and how, you know, untrusting and then trusting Elizabeth is towards Booker. And, and you kind of see like this, uh, this strange relationship and you're not really that sure like at first you think that oh this is like for my debt like I have to collect this girl so I can repay my debt and that's the whole journey but then it feels like it gets more and more complicated um, and then at the end you have this like epiphany basically uh, after she like tells you like after the baptism um, after the what's it called the wounded knee um, so wait, before we get there, maybe we should explain a little bit what, <laughs> what, what Anya is talking about. Uh, so the character Booker uh, had a very interesting journey before Bioshock Infinite started. He was a war hero who fought in many battles. Uh, one of them was called the Wounded Knee, where he fought a lot and killed a lot of people. And because of that, he felt extremely guilty for his actions. And a lot of people at the time, what they did was they would look to religion for salvation. Especially in the early, like, eight, uh, late 1800s, early 1900s. Yeah, so what happened was he went for a baptism, but just before he got baptized, he decided not to go ahead with it and remain as Booker DeWitt. So I think that kind of gives a little bit more context to what Anya <laughs> was talking about. Yeah. Because uh, towards the end of the game, um, we realized that it's not so simple. Yeah, if, if, if he took the baptism, he would have been, become Zachary Comstock because he would have changed his name. But if he chose not to, then he would have become Booker Dewitt. And the whole like ending, uh, although kind of con like confusing and up to interpretation, insinuates that, um, you know, uh, we had to kill uh, like Booker had to kill himself before he could take the baptism that way he, to ensure that no Booker Dewitts or Zachary Comstocks would exist in the future. So there's a sense of dualities that there's no such thing as good or bad. It's not that Booker was good or that Zachary Comstock was bad. It's just that they both couldn't exist together. He needed the to same erase way we have, that constant and variable. Yeah, in the same way that you can't have the back side of a coin without having the front side of a coin. You need to have both, otherwise you can't have the coin. And the simple solution was throw away the coin. As and that's so funny because Elizabeth's always you know passing us coins throughout the entire thing. Exactly. <laughs> and that was the that was the metaphor behind that. I mean, I just thought it was for cash, honestly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's not only that. There's also uh, these scenes with the Lutest twins where we're asked to kind of flip a coin and they would take a bet on whether it would be heads or tails. Heads. It's and it's always, always heads. heads. <laughs> <laughs> and it's like funny because it like when when they're turning their backs, like I never thought of it this way. I thought they were just like getting like the they were getting the like everyone in the crowd and stuff to do the heads and tails but then i realized like maybe maybe they like they're not visible to other people and maybe like this is just the multiple different booker duets who've come into 
the, the coming to Colombia because there's like a clear like idea of a multiverse, right? So that means Definitely. that there are different multiple different types of uh, and multiple different Booker Duets and multiple different Annas and Elizabeths and Zach Comstocks. Definitely. Uh, so coming back to the question, who is the real villain? Well, I mean, we do get that answer that Booker is the real villain along with Zachary Comstock. And everything else that he becomes. Even though he tried to save Elizabeth, at the end, he was the one that put her and made her into what she became, which was a quantum superposition, whereby she was, uh, you know, kind of like the Marvel Nexus being who could <laughs> travel between the, the multiverse, you know. Even though she gained a lot of power, she lost her, she lost her life. Uh, the moment Booker decided to give away his daughter to pay off his gambling debts as a child. But so, the, the, the good question though is like, are, is the hero or the protagonist of the story really like Anna or Elizabeth or is it Booker? You know, because when we, when we finally like identify that, then we'll be able to say like, oh yeah, Booker, Zach Comstock is definitely the villain, you know? Well, I don't know, you know, the thing about Bioshock and about the story is there is no real definitive villain. Everybody is just in their position. Everybody thinks what they're doing is right. Even Zachary Comstock, even before you kill him at the end of the game, you don't really fight him. You just drown him. Talk to him, yeah. And you drown him in, in water. And you know what? That same parallel happens to Booker DeWitt, who drowns at his baptism. Oh my gosh, yeah, I forgot about that. He's, <laughs> yeah, he's drowned. Um, yeah. But like, I feel like the irony of it all is that like throughout the entire series, Elizabeth is kind of like, you know, put or like kind of symbolizes like a moral right or like, you know, like the way we're supposed to feel going throughout the game, you know, like guilt over the like numerous amounts of victims, whereas it kind of like parallels the way that Booker in like when after Wounded Knee also felt that way mm. and in the same way though We are meant to think that like Booker is kind of inhuman or like not very vulnerable towards The amount of killings that he does throughout the entire series um, of like events, but I feel Like the main parallel though is like is like is he you know how uh, what's her name? the leader of the Vox uh, is always kind of like there's a question as to whether they're really different from Zach Comstock. Right, to give support is... context, uh, context, who the Vox are. <laughs> so as we were saying, um, Colombia was this perfect utopia, right? Well, there were some rebel factions and one of them was called the Vox, uh, you know, who was helmed by Fitzroy. Ah, yeah. And Daisy, Daisy Fitzroy? Yes, yeah. Daisy Fitzroy. Yeah. And she kind of represented that rebellious side to having a perfect utopia. Anyway, to continue on, yeah, about <laughs> yeah. the Vox. So it feels like, you know, like the Vox and the Zachary Comstock had direct parallels in their actions. But the real question is, you know, they, they killed people mercilessly, but was Booker also the same way? Did he kill people mercilessly to the point that he didn't care anymore? Or was it that, you know, Elizabeth acted as his anchor and he, you know, kind of like, he drifted away from what Zachary Comstock was. It could be, you know, it could be. She could have been the difference. But here's what I think, and I might be going off a tangent. <laughs> the real villains of Bioshock Infinite 
were the Lutest twins. I agree. Oh my gosh, I agree. <laughs> I totally agree. And I not don't because think it was they Booker. had evil intent. It's because they made the terrorists. They made the possibility of Elizabeth being taken into a terror and her pinky being torn off. And exactly. The, exactly. The whole interaction. That's that's exactly it. You know. Um, we are not supposed to interact with our different versions of ourselves for a reason, so that we could retain our own individuality. But what happens when all of that gets mixed up? And then we get a great game like Bioshock Infinite to find <laughs> out. <laughs> so if you ask me, just to put a tie on it, I would say the real villains would be the Lutest twins, just because they caused this whole thing to unfold. I just feel and like- And they themselves became so detached from different realities because they've seen so many play out. You know, they kind of become numb. They're not like warm yeah. people or anything. It's it's just really sad to see that these two characters who came up with such an amazing scientific invention become so detached. And honestly, you know, so the test twins are they're two versions of the, of the same person. Yeah, just from two like different two universes. different realities, two different universes. Yeah, and, and they they're very smart. So they found yeah. a way to. You know, talk to each other through the multiverse, and uh, they found ways to make terrors and uh, like, and they essentially became quantum superpositions the same way that Elizabeth was. Exactly, and uh, if you look at Elizabeth at the end of the game, she too became detached from her reality. Yeah, just because she of that. became a lot more immoral. She even killed Songbird. So you know, I feel like that would be the real villain. That's just my opinion. <laughs> I feel like I feel like what you really have to wonder and take into account is. You know how, like, throughout the entire game, we get very accustomed and we kind of enjoy Booker's character in the same way for Elizabeth. So it's hard to see them as villains. But, so like, maybe for, we should for, move for on the, to the next question. Wait, 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 wait. But for, for the Lutest <laughs> twins, wait, wait, before we move on. For the Lutest twins, though, we don't really see their backstory or anything. We just kind of hear it through Vox phones and um, other devices. And I feel like, you know, it's the same, you know, situation where. Uh, I don't remember what it's called, but you know, like there's there are situations where you know it's always caused by something else. Everything is impacted by each other. Like this, you know, like um, all is one and one is all <laughs> from Full, Full Metal Alchemist Brother. I don't know. That's what I I, I think of. You know, because yeah. like you know, there's probably a, like a chain reaction to everything, and the Lutest twins might not have been the central cause, but that's what we have to blame because we don't know what or the intentions or what caused them to act in a certain way, right? So if yeah. we knew that layer, then we could say that that layer was the true villain. But, but do they have any intent? Because I feel like the villain is like, now I realize that villain is kind of like such a, you know, um, such a limiting response because everyone can be the villain. Exactly, that, that's exactly it, yeah. So let's move on maybe to the next question, which would be... What do the characters represent in, you know, it can be in life and God knows. <laughs> what, what, what do you answer? Um, this is a good question. I think when we look at our central protagonists in Elizabeth and Booker, I would say they kind of represent two sides of the same coin as we discussed earlier, where they were good and bad. And it's just a play on what would happen when certain catalysts are not there, when certain variables are not put in place. They are the constant and they are the variable. If you look at Elizabeth's character, at the end of the game, she becomes the constant. And Booker? Booker becomes the variable. 
because there's so many versions of Booker. And Elizabeth has to guide all of them to make a decision to die at the end of the game. Whether to drown themselves and not go ahead with the baptism. So there won't be any more Booker and there won't be any more Comstocks to cause any more of these problems. Because even though you look at the Lutest twins and you look at all these characters, they only come into fruition because Booker decided to go ahead with baptism. That single decision was the variable that caused us to get a great game. <laughs> I feel like a big part of Elizabeth's character evolution is that, you know, we see her at the end with so many different like part like so many different aspects of you know what she could have become from different multiverses and she comes together to make the same decision she comes to the same point and i feel like that kind of you know it kind of represents that idea like that's that idea that i feel like bioshock kind of um emulates a lot of like a cyclical journey you know there are ups and downs you know you have to take immoral actions in order for moral things to happen good things to happen you know in order for columbia to not exist anymore it's kind of like that um that idea, what's it called? Uh, you know, what, like where you're on a train and you have to choose whether to kill one person mm -hmm. and- The trolley problem. The trolley problem, yeah. I feel like it's kind of like that, you know? Like sometimes there is no moral thing. There is no good thing. And um, like, I feel like Elizabeth kind of represents that idea that, oh, I don't really like what I'm doing right now but I know that it's for a greater purpose. I feel like her character evolution is that realizing that like from her ignorance of everything should be good and should be done in a, in a moral way to, you know, sometimes you have to do bad things for good things to happen. Yeah, I mean, you can look at Booker for that exact reason, right? I feel like this entire story, this entire thing played out just so that he could get redemption for his actions for, you know, giving his daughter away, to killing all those people at the Wounded Knee. Isn't that the whole, like, isn't that what the Lutest twins said at the end? They, were, they said that they gave him a second chance, right? Yeah, and he kind of was able to allow Elizabeth to fully actualize herself. And he uh, also stopped Zachary Comstock from continuing his own existence. <laughs> so, you know, I would say it's a nice loop a nice bow to tie at the end of the game that Booker was kind of the savior as well as the villain. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and I feel like Booker kind of represents a lot of what um, a lot of us feel in our lives in the sense that, you know, sometimes we feel like we're guilty of certain things and we want to go back and just stop ourselves from doing it, you know? Stop ourselves from uh, doing an action that we later come on to regret. And in the same way that Booker is given that chance, we kind of sympathize with him. Yeah. We kind of like understand that like, you know, this man, yeah, he might have he might have done some wrongs in his life, but he has like, he has uh, true emotions and those emotions aren't something to, you know, not think about. Um, and throughout the game, I feel like as he gets closer to Elizabeth, you kind of kind of see like that parallel with a lot of people who are I guess veterans or people who have fought in wars people who kind of have an apathetic uh, view of life especially after those types of tra tra traumatic events you kind of see like him 
learning to become more sensitive and emotional. And I feel like that's such a such a great part because you know we see Elizabeth kind of descending into some some type of apathy, especially at the end of the game. But we see Booker ascending to emotion. That, yeah, that, that's his arc. It's like a balance. Yeah, and I know this isn't a part of Bioshock Infinite exactly, but you guys must play the DLC to see how Elizabeth's story ends. Oh, okay. I have not played that. Yeah, and that <laughs> probably could be another podcast if we want to talk about it, another episode to go deeper, because I feel like that really concludes the Bioshock Infinite, um, the entire story, because it, we, we finished with Booker's arc at the end of Infinite, than the normal game. But once we get into the DLC, which is Burial at Sea, we see how Elizabeth finishes her story. Oh, wow. Uh, I'm not familiar with uh, the DLC yet. I'm hoping to be soon. Uh, but I've heard a lot of stuff that overlaps with Bioshock, like the original game as well. Yeah, so, definitely. Uh, it's, a good, it's a good DLC. How would you recommend like going through the sequencing of like playing the game? Um, okay, I would start with the first Bioshock game because that in itself is another masterpiece. <laughs> then you can play Bioshock 2 or you can play, yeah, you can play Bioshock 2. Then you can play Bioshock Infinite and then the DLC and it nicely encompasses everything. Mm. So play in the order that it came out because I think Irrational Games had that in mind when they were creating the story for all these games that everything kind of was done in a sequence not that you should play one game before or the other because i feel like a lot of the intrigue would be ruined if you played in if you played the dlc before playing the first game because you already know the twists and turns of what's going to happen uh that's how i would look at it oh okay um so yeah bioshock infinite is definitely one of those games that I feel like really made an impact and made me really think, especially like days or weeks after I played it. Like it's been a few weeks, I think. And I, I still think about it, you know, because there are so many different aspects I feel like we didn't even get to touch on. Like, you know, the, the amazing and like poetic kind of like um, old phrases that they used to like, they put on posters or like the scenery and the color and the imagery and why that's and how that's symbolic but like I feel like there's so many aspects that you know once you play the game you really come to appreciate um, and I feel like you know going through these questions and really trying to understand Bioshock Infinite is just another fun aspect of playing the game you know like you really have something to think about yeah, definitely. It's a thought-provoking game. <laughs> I don't know how else to put it, but yeah. So, thank you for listening. I hope you guys enjoyed. Yeah. Next, <laughs> tune in next week to our next episode of Game Stretch, where we stretch the game. Game Stretch.